This podcast is brought to you by Podcast Nation. Welcome to the Mom Room Podcast. My name is Renee Rena, and I am definitely the mom friend you have always wanted. This episode is brought to you by GroCo Postnatal Rehab. GroCo was founded in 2018 by chiropractor Dr. Ali Kane when she was 32 weeks pregnant with her first baby. She wanted to create a rehab program that supported women through the physical, mental, and emotional challenges of motherhood. The GroCo methodology is aimed at preventing, reducing, and resolving symptoms women have been made to think are an inevitable consequence of childbirth. Between Monday, November 23rd and Monday, November 30th, you have the chance to get 50% off your one-time payment to become a GroCo member. Classes stream 24-7, so you're able to do them whenever it works best for you. There's also a weekly live class with a GroCo doctor and also a monthly master class. The goals of GroCo are to be accessible to women, be supportive, but also provide them with a high quality rehab program. Everything is focused on your core and your pelvic floor, which you guys know that I love. Now that we are settled into our new home, I am signed up for GroCo and I'm starting next week. So if you guys want to start this program with me, join and I will probably do some Instagram lives or some IGTVs just to share with everyone my thoughts and struggles or things that I like about the program. So again, between Monday, November 23rd and Monday, November 30th, you will get 50% off this program and it is important to note that it is a one-time payment. So you have access to all this goodness for a lifetime. Your pelvic floor will thank you. To find out more details, please go to the episode notes and I will have all the links for you guys in there. All right, so today I am speaking with Dr. Alicia Power. She's a family doctor with a special interest in maternity. She lives in Victoria, BC, which makes me very jealous. She is the co-founder of She Found Motherhood, which is a community online platform and podcast that empowers women with the knowledge to support them through the journey from pregnancy to motherhood. So to start, I thought you could tell us a little bit about yourself, um, what you do for work, and why um, you became interested in maternity. Awesome. Well, thanks, Renee, for having me on uh, the mom room today. I really appreciate coming and chatting with you. Um, So as you said, I'm a family doctor and I have special interest in training in maternity care. So what that looks like is we um, have I have a full service family practice and also I care for women from kind of the start of their pregnancy through to about eight weeks postpartum with their newborn and then they would go back to their family doctor or their primary care provider. So that is about Our call group, our group of um, docs who I work with, we care for about 700 to 800 women a year in that model. Wow. Yeah. So it's pretty, uh, it's pretty fun, pretty busy. Uh, It keeps us on our toes. Um, Outside of medicine, I am married and I have two kids, a six-year-old and an eight-year-old. And I am originally from Ottawa, in fact, and my parents grew up not close to or close to where you're from in Kapaskasing and in Kenora, 
Northern Ontario. Oh, wow. Yeah. Um, so interesting. So I did my undergrad in Halifax at Dalhousie University, and then I did my med school at UBC, and I did my family practice training here in Victoria, and then we stayed here. So yeah, so I've been kind of across the country and on both sides. Nice. You're so lucky to live in Victoria. Just for people that are listening, I, my husband and I lived in Victoria for, I think, like a year and a half or two years. Maybe it was just a year. I don't remember. But he was taking over uh, someone's urology practice there just for a little while. Um, and we were so lucky to live in Victoria, BC. It's like the nicest Oh, it's the most beautiful place ever. And then randomly, um, Alicia messaged me on Instagram and she was like, is your husband so-and-so? Because she knew him from working in Victoria. So it's a small world. It sure is a small world. And yeah, it is a beautiful place to live. My husband's from Halifax, so we go back there quite frequently. And we always have these notions of maybe moving back there. And every time I come back to Victoria, I go outside and I walk around and I don't get eaten by mosquitoes. And it's always oh. like, yes, nope, this is the place that I need to be. So beautiful. We lived, when we were there, we lived right near the harbor, which is like such a magical place. And then Beacon Hill Park, there's peacocks walking around. Like, I shit you not, people, Victoria, I used to say, it's like you're living in a fairy tale, fairy tale book. Like, <laughs> it is pretty lovely. I mean, it's got its downsides, but they're pretty few and far between. Yeah. So today we're talking primarily about birth control. Um, so many questions around birth control. There's so much information that I think people don't know. So I thought this was a great topic to talk about. Um, so the first thing I just wanted you to explain was, um, I know you had mentioned that when people come to you um, to help with them to decide which method of birth control they should start. You said that there were three things that you usually ask them about before you get into different options that would be good for them. So I was wondering if you could just go over those three things. Yeah, for sure. And I just, everybody needs to realize that we're each individuals and we all have our own physiology. So the way our bodies work and we all have our own situations and that can change throughout our life. So we are always in a different season in our life. And so discussions around contraception or birth control has to be very much individualized to where you are in your life and what your goals are. So this is kind of the first thing I like to chat with women about and, and men, because let's not forget men are a big part of contraception and birth control or should be in the conversation anyways, um, about what, so the big thing is what are your family planning goals and where are you on that spectrum? So are you a 20 year old who has no interest in having kids for 10, 15 years, or have you had a child and you're thinking of having another one, but you're not quite there, or are you done, done having kids and you need something that is super reliable because if you got pregnant again, this would not be an ideal situation. So everybody is in a different place in their life. And so the conversation will shift based on that. Another thing I like to know about, are there any other issues that you're struggling with that you want to address? So are, do you have problems with acne? Do you have horribly heavy periods or get lots of cramping when you have your, when your period is coming? Um, are there other, like, have you tried other things in the past, other birth controls that have caused kind of mood disorders? So that's another piece to the puzzle because certainly certain contraceptions can help with certain problems. Do you struggle with endometriosis? Do you have pelvic pain because of that? So there's very specific things that we can help modify with certain types of 
birth control methods. The other thing that it's important for us to understand is, are there anything that we need to know about your health that would make it dangerous for us to use certain types of birth control or contraception? So do you have breast cancer? Do you have a history of blood clots? Um, Do you have migraines with an, an aura? So do you have visual changes before you have a migraine? So that allows us to um, change what we're going to suggest and have conversations about when you're having, um, uh, when you are, when we're having those conversations. And the last thing I like to know is, and I'm not reliable in this way, but how reliable are you? So if you're taking the birth control pill, you need to remember to take your pill every day. Otherwise, what's the point in taking it? So if you're really reliable, that might be a great method for you. If you're really not reliable, then there's other things that we can look at as well. Awesome. So one thing that you said that I was actually curious about and someone asked me on Instagram when you said, you know, have you tried previous methods and it caused like issues in your mood? That was actually someone's question. And I have never heard of birth control affecting mood. And is that something that can happen? It certainly can. So we often talk about kind of postpartum depression. Well, there's huge hormonal changes that happen postpartum that can, that can bring that up. Or early on in pregnancy, we get progesterone, which is the progestation. So the pro-pregnancy hormone is released in high quantities in the early part of pregnancy. And that causes all kinds of symptoms. So the fatigue, the bloating, some of the mood changes, um, those can all be breast tenderness, hair growth or lack of hair loss, those can all be as a result of hormones. And so progesterone can cause disruptions in mood. So there's certain birth controls. So the, and we'll talk about this, but the Depro-Provera shot is a three-month shot of progesterone. So for you, progesterone causes mood changes and you get a shot of a substance that you can't take out of your body for three months, that's going to be an issue, right? So, and, Mm. and certainly with those changes in hormones. And so for women taking the birth control pill, if they come off the birth control pill for that week-long cycle, so you take it for 21 days and then in theory come off it for seven days, that shift in hormones can cause mood disruptions. And it can, But birth control pills can also help regulate your hormones to help decrease symptoms of PMS, for example. This episode is brought to you by Little Spoon. If you're like me, then the bane of your existence is thinking about what to feed your children, prepping food, going to the grocery store, all of the above. Who has the time? We are all so busy, and it's important to incorporate things into our life that keep our life as simple and convenient as possible. Lil Spoon is one way to do just that. They deliver fresh, healthy meals and snacks straight to your door that your kid will love at every eating stage they are in. The baby blends are fresh, organic baby food from single ingredients to multi-textured purees to take the stress out of starting solids. They partner with Clean Label Project to test their blends for 400 plus contaminants, including heavy metals. So you know you're getting good stuff. The Biteables are finger food meals that are cut to size to promote easy self-feeding and they are healthy, balanced, and free of artificial junk. The Little Spoon Plates are toddler and big kid meals that are free of junk and they taste amazing. Even the pickiest eaters will love them. Think hidden veggie mac and cheese, chicken nuggets, and adventurous eats like potstickers, gnocchi, and more. They also offer really fun things like puffs, they have smoothies, lunchers, and snacks. You quite literally never have to think about food again. It's just easy peasy. And did I mention this all comes right to your door? It is so flexible, so easy, and everything stores right in the fridge and freezer. The price is right. The quality is unmatched. You are going to love it and your kids are going to love it. It is just a huge win for your family. 
Simplify your kids' mealtime with 30% off your first order. Go to littlespoon.com slash momroom and enter our code momroom at checkout to get 30% off your first Little Spoon order. Shout out to Claritin for supporting this episode of The Mom Room and providing me with samples. You know how a lot of people can't leave the house without a water bottle? It's like their emotional support water bottle. I am the exact same way with facial tissues. And that is because I have such bad allergies, specifically in my sinuses, to the point where I know I'm going to have to blow my nose multiple times in a day, and I cannot be out in public without my emotional support facial tissues. Luckily, for those of us who live with the symptoms of allergies, we can live Claritin Clear with Claritin D. Designed for serious allergy sufferers, Claritin D has two powerful ingredients in just one pill that relieve your allergy symptoms and decongest your nose so that you can breathe better. This double action combination of prescription strength allergy medicine and the best decongestant available relieves sneezing, a runny nose, itchy and watery eyes, an itchy nose and throat, and sinus congestion and pressure with ease. Now I know if I have a big event, maybe I'm going to a concert, going out for dinner. I don't want to be blowing my nose every two seconds. It's very unbecoming. And so I will take Claritin D and enjoy my evening. Ready to live life as if you don't have allergies? It's time to live Claritin clear. Fast and powerful relief is just a quick trip away. Find Claritin D at the pharmacy counter or ask for Claritin D at your local pharmacy. You don't even need a prescription. Go to Claritin.com right now for a discount so you can live Claritin clear. Use as directed. So do you find a lot of people that start a birth control end up switching it? So it's almost like you need to do like trial and error with different kinds and see which one works best for you. Yeah, there's a lot of different birth controls out there. And not only do they have different formulations of hormones, like estrogens and progesterones, but they also have different amounts. So there's a lot of changing that you can do and a lot of um, symptom management you can do based on how you react to one birth control. Hmm. Interesting. So so oftentimes it takes a little bit of time to find the one that works for you. And that one can change over your life. So after you have kids, oftentimes you need a different type of birth control than the one you used before. Sometimes you don't. But so it's not just a one kind of size fit all conversation. See, and that was another question that someone had that I was also curious about was, You know, is it possible that someone can be on, let's say, a specific birth control pill for years and years, and then all of a sudden it starts causing, you know, either a bad side effect or like for me, you're spotting all of a sudden all the time. So that is something that can actually happen. Yeah, the spotting, the starting to spot is a common one that we hear about. I mean, when I say common, I don't mean like everybody gets it. But if you're going to have that those changes in side effects after years of taking the same type of birth control pill, the spotting is one of the ones that often comes up. Hmm. Interesting. So, okay, so let's get into the different kinds of birth control, because I think when we say birth control, a lot of people just assume the birth control pill. Um, but there are different methods. Um, so... There's natural methods, non-hormonal methods, and then hormonal. So what in those three different categories, what are some of the different options that people would have? Yeah. So why don't we start with the natural? And um, some of these are only appropriate in certain times of your life, but the natural methods are, well, abstinence is a natural method of contraception, which if you're abstinent is a great form of contraception, but not awesome for most people who are actually looking for birth control because they're usually having sex. Um, And then just keeping in mind with the abstinence is you can't actually have any sperm in and around the 
the opening to the vagina. So even if people are, another method is withdrawal method. Those swimmers are pretty good at getting places. That's literally their job in life is to swim up the vagina into the uterus through the fallopian tubes and then get to the egg. So they have a lot of um, skills. So there cannot be any semen in and around the vaginal area if you're going to use like the withdrawal method, which is another type of natural contraception. So I have a question. I have a question about the pull out or the withdrawal method. Is that what you mean? Yeah. So no. So I mean abstinence, like no sex, but then you can use abstinence within different types of birth control. Withdrawal method is not abstinence, but you can certainly um, use kind of your 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 fertility awareness, which is cervical mucus and basal body temperature, to plan when to be abstinent. So when not to have sex around your ovulation uh, would be okay, that's so you- how you could use abstinence within a different method. Okay, so you're not talking about like having sex and then before they ejaculate to pull out coitus interruptus, aka the <laughs> withdrawal method. That's another form of a natural contraception, though, for sure. So that is one of the one of the options. So I always heard that when you're having sex, some of the semen comes out before they actually ejaculate. Yeah, for sure. So um, you can have some pre-ejaculate, which has semen in it. And so that's the problem with coitus interruptus. So I also have kind of numbers. I did a little preparation for this. I have numbers of um, failure rates for all of the different types of birth control. And when I mean failure rates, I mean what is the chance of getting pregnant if a thousand people are use a thousand women are using this form of contraception for a year, what is the chance of getting pregnant by using that? So for coitus interruptus or the withdrawal method, we're looking at there's a 220 chance in a thousand or 22 in 100, or 22% chance of getting pregnant if you're using this form of contraception for a year. So it's not a great form of contraception. Right. Okay. Did you make up that term, coitus interruptus? No, that's the technical term. Oh my God, really? Like, it's yeah. so awesome. I can't wait till my husband gets home so I can say that to him. <laughs> well, hopefully he's heard the term before, <laughs> considering what he does for a living. Yeah. How has he not shared this term with me before? This right? is the best. Oh, it'd, be a good, okay. it'd be a good band name. Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. So there's, so there's a few other types of natural contraception. So I kind of alluded to them. So one is the fertility awareness. So this is using like your basal body temperature and your cervical mucus changes to um, determine when you are ovulating in a month and then avoiding having intercourse or having ejaculate near or in your vagina during like for five days to seven days pre and a few days post ovulation. We actually have a whole, um, video on this that I can send you if you want, all about kind of using those techniques to determine where you are in your um, fertile window. So avoiding, so that's when you could use abstinence during that time or use a condom during that time uh, just to be aware of when you're ovulating. Or if you're actually trying to get pregnant, that's how you know when you're ovulating. Yeah, for sure. Um, I'll post that in the episode notes if you send it to me. For me and my cycle, it's very obvious uh, when I'm ovulating because I have really painful ovulation, unfortunately. Middle schmerz? Yes. Um, And yeah, I've, I've told physicians before and they just say, you know, like it's it just happens with some women and and that, you know, if you're trying to have a child, then, you know, it's good because you know exactly when you're ovulating. Um, But yeah, so I always know exactly when that's going to happen. 
Yeah. So for the non-hormonal uh, so there's a couple methods. more. Let's check about quickly. Oh, okay. So yep. Fertility awareness. So that's when you know when you're ovulating and you avoid intercourse or use coitus interruptus or use abstinence. Um, and there's the other thing that is useful postpartum is something called lactational amenorrhea. So this is when you're exclusively breastfeeding, no formula at all, and you're not getting a period. This actually has only like a 2% failure rate which I don't believe, I, well, I should believe because that's what it says, the literature tells us. But anyways, but that's actually a reasonable form of birth control. So if somebody is not wanting to take hormones and they're exclusively breastfeeding postpartum and they're not getting their period, they could use that as a reasonable form of, form of birth control. If they're like, don't want to get pregnant, then I'd suggest something a little bit better on top of that. But that's certainly another one. So I just wanted to mention that for for all our postpartum people and out so- there. At the same time, just because we're talking about breastfeeding, someone had asked about um, taking a birth control pill while you're breastfeeding. And I think there is one birth control pill that that they prescribe for women if they're breastfeeding and want to take a birth control pill, right? Yeah. So if you look at the evidence... And I looked at, I haven't looked at it recently, but the evidence tells us that the even the combined birth control pill... It can decrease your supply for a few days, but generally speaking, you can get it back up. Mm. So that's not an unreasonable one. And if you have a ton of milk, then it doesn't matter. You can certainly take that one once you're kind of six weeks out or so. Um, and that that six weeks thing is because in the first six weeks, your risk of having a blood clot is slightly elevated still from pregnancy. And so we don't want to add in a, a combined, the estrogen part of the birth control on top of that. But certainly if you've got a great milk supply, like you're an overproducer, you can use the combined birth control. If you're kind of on the borderline of producing enough, I usually just do the progesterone only birth control pill. Um, but even in certain people that can also affect your milk supply. So it's very much an individual and just kind of gauging how you do on it. So, but yeah, certainly most people will do just the progesterone only if you are, if you're not like a super overproducer. So the, the issue with taking birth control while breastfeeding is not that the baby is going to get, you know, some of the birth control through the milk. It's actually to do with milk production. Exactly. And if you think about it, some women get their periods. Like I got my period six weeks after I had my baby. I was Mm. breastfeeding exclusively, but I got, I got my period right back again. So the birth control pill is still putting in the estrogen and the progesterone that you would normally have if you were getting your periods. And so, so by getting your period back, you're not giving your baby any more or less estrogen or progesterone than you necessarily would ish with the birth control pill. I mean, I'm sure there's some difference there, but so it's no, it's more of the milk supply issue and then the blood clot issue. And that's one of the reasons we wouldn't give the birth control pill. If you have a family history of blood clots or you had any issues around that, we don't want to give that estrogen, but it's a, it's more of the milk supply issue. But we even find that the Mirena IUD, which is and we'll talk about this one too, an intrauterine device that you put up in the uterus that has a tiny amount of progesterone in it. In very few women, but some women who are really struggling with supply, that can even, we will take that out if they really want to exclusively breastfeed and try and get their supply up. And every once in a while, that will actually increase their supply, which huh. it's a tiny amount, but some people are just super sensitive to even tiny amounts of um, hormone. Yeah, exactly. And that's, I remember talking about this uh, with someone else. The same goes for 
like we were saying um, on your episode, your hormones are changing so much in postpartum. And that was one of the things we were talking about was mood, mood issues in postpartum. And she was saying, you know, we all have these hormone fluctuations that are similar in the amount of hormones, um, but some people are just more sensitive to it than others. And so, you know, they have the low mood or the anxiety or whatever is a result of the hormones. So yeah, it's important to know that even though it's the same amount of hormones that two different women are getting, they can react to it in a much different way. Um, so yeah, for so now for the non-hormonal options, um, what are some of those? So the non-hormonal options, so one of them is the condom. And that is for some people who, you know, if they don't really want to get pregnant, but if they did, it wouldn't be the end of the world. That's not an unreasonable one. Or if you're adding that on to a different form of more of a quote unquote natural contraception, that would be a reasonable kind of add on. That failure rate is kind of in the order of, I think, 8%. So 80 people a year, if a thousand mm-hmm. women are using that. So it's not fabulous, but it's not unreasonable. Um, and then the other options, there's kind of the, there used to be the sponge and the diaphragm and spermicide, but those are kind of, I don't, I haven't prescribed one of those in my 11 years of practice. So I don't think those are really um, used all that much. Remember Elaine from Seinfeld, I think used to use her diaphragm, <laughs> right? Um, and the spermicide you have to use with that. So we don't have great numbers on those. We don't, they're not around much. And then the other ones are one of the intrauterine devices. The IUD is called a copper IUD. So there's no hormones in it, but it's still a device that goes up into your uterus. The, this is a really good form of birth control. So the failure rate's about eight in a thousand per year, which is pretty reasonable, actually very good. Um, but the side effect of that one is in some women, it can cause heavier bleeding and cramping. So if you have super light periods, it's probably going to be fine for you. But if you tend to have heavier periods, it might make them even worse. My husband and I both turn the big four zero next year, and we have been thinking a lot about our long-term health. We want to get smarter about our health, make better choices, but also not feel overwhelmed trying to separate fact from fiction. There is so much information out there and it can be hard to figure out what applies to you, what is right, and what is wrong. Well, let me introduce you to the Zoe Science and Nutrition Podcast. With the help of world-leading scientists, they help you make smarter health choices every week. Don't just take my word for it. Naomi's Apple Review says, Zoe Science and Nutrition is super easy to consume even if you don't understand the science. With loads of actionable tips, a great mix of guests, and interesting cutting-edge science. You can't go wrong with a weekly podcast where world-leading scientists explain how their own research could improve your health. If you're ready to join millions of others like Naomi transforming their health, then search for Zoe Science and Nutrition wherever you listen to podcasts. This episode is brought to you by Lola V. Lola V is an award-winning hair care line by none other than Jennifer Aniston. They offer clean, plant-powered products for every hair type and texture. I just did my whole hair care routine with all the products the other night, and I am obsessed. 
Along with incredible shampoo and conditioner, they have an intensive repair treatment that you can use once a week. They also have a lightweight hair oil. There's a leave-in treatment and there's also a glossing detangler, which I need because lately I want to do my hair in like a slicked back look, but my hair is too frizzy. Get 15% off Lola V with the code MOMROOM at www.lolavie.com slash MOMROOM and Lola V is L-O-L-A-V-I-E. So do people um, get their period still when they have an IUD or no? So with the copper IUD, generally speaking, yes. With the hormonal IUD, the Mirena or the Kylina, the Mirena, oftentimes we won't. So that's the one with the little bit of progesterone in it. So we'll talk about oh, okay. that with the hormonal. But certainly with the copper one, you still get, you generally still get your periods. You stop, you ovulate less and your cervical mucus changes. Um, and then it disrupts the kind of the... Um, milieu of the uterus for implantation. But So I have heard horror stories about people getting IUDs and having them removed. Um, I don't know that many people that have had them, but I know one of my friends said like having it put in was the most awful thing in the world and she was screaming in the doctor's office. And then my sister's friend had one that actually went like it went through her cervix or something like that like something Mm -hmm. she had to have it like surgically removed or something so what what is your experience with with having people get IUDs and how they react to them I'm on my third IUD and I love them every single doctor in my office has one um but and we put a ton in, I don't put them in personally, but uh, my colleagues do and we put a ton in in our office so the issue with insertion is if you haven't, if your cervix hasn't dilated before, i.e. you haven't been in labor, we have to put something through your cervix, which when you're not pregnant or not delivering is closed and firm. So we have to Mm. dilate that cervix a little bit, which is, that's where a lot of the labor pain comes from is when your cervix is changing. So it's pretty crampy. And so you can certainly, if you've never, like the first time I got an IUD in, it was uncomfortable and I actually passed out afterwards because I'm a bit of a wimp, right? But (laughs) But the next two I had in were I didn't even feel them go in because I'd had babies after that. Ah, so, so that's a that's a piece of it. Um, some practitioners will actually put freezing in the cervix before they do that to make it more comfortable for women who haven't had a baby before, who haven't labored before. Mm. And there is certainly a risk of we call it uterine perforation, or when you're putting in the IUD, it goes through the back wall of the uterus and then into the intra-abdominal cavity, into your, you know, into the bowel area. Um, not into your bowels, but into the cavity in which your bowels sit. And so that's, a, you know, that probably happens about 1% to 2%. So maybe of every 100 IUDs go in, a couple do that. And that is often very painful when it's being inserted. And that's not dangerous per se, but you do need a laparoscopic, so the camera surgery, to remove it because we can't leave it in there, obviously. Um, yeah. So so there certainly is the risk, right, because we're putting something into your body. So there's always a risk that it's going not where we intend it to go, um, but it's pretty rare. So I think the vast majority of people who have IUDs are very happy with them, but the people who are not happy with them are the ones who tell the stories. And that's the thing about almost everything, right? Everything. The people who have the people who have traumatic births are telling their stories everywhere. But the people who have like lovely, wonderful births and everything, they don't, right? Yeah. Because they're living their life doing whatever. So so that's the problem with kind of these like 
stories. Horror um, stories. And to be honest, stories. like us as humans tend to remember negative things over positive things. So uh, it makes sense that I can just remember, you know, stories that have scared me versus stories that I have a neutral response to. <laughs> Right. Like Um, we talked about, we did your birth story, right? And you were scared by the epidural. And so that is like ingrained in your brain, but the rest of it, it's kind of, you know, anyways, but it's so fascinating, but certainly, so there's always side effects to everything we do and side effects to every medication we do or don't do. Right. So if we choose not to do birth control, the side effect is pregnancy, which has its own issues. Right. So so for non, non-hormonal non options, I wanted to tell this to you because I thought you might be interested in it. I was listening to a podcast a few weeks ago, and they had this woman on who was like the CEO of this company that created this new birth control product, and it's called Fexi, P-H-E-X-X-I. And what it is, like it looks like a tampon like applicator. And what it is, is an hour, up to an hour before you have intercourse, you put, it's like a vaginal gel up into your vagina. And that is like, it's supposed to have amazing, um, like, uh, rates of like how it prevents pregnancy. Obviously it doesn't prevent, um, in like S S T I S or what's yeah, sexually transmitted yeah, infections. Yeah. yeah. You got it. Yeah, so it doesn't prevent that. Um, but have you heard of anything like that? I've not, but it sounds like spermicide. It sounds like, so we used to use spermicide or some people still use spermicide. So it's kind of a gel that you insert into the vagina. Oftentimes it's used with a sponge or a diaphragm and it kills the sperm. So I suspect what that gel is, is it blocks the entry of the sperm and there's probably some kind of spermicide um, associated with it. So certainly it's probably good in conjunction with something else. Um, but yeah, so I suspect it's probably something like that, but I haven't heard specifically. Yeah. I was just, I went, I went to their website today. So it's FDA approved. Like this was an American company, of course. And, um, yeah, it said something about like, it maintains the pH levels of the vagina and like slows down the sperm or stops the sperm or something. But yeah, yeah. anyways, it was interesting. The so mo- I thought I would- The more that. options, the better, right? Yeah, exactly. And that's kind of what, what they were saying in the podcast as well is, you know, it's it's something that you just kind of use like situationally as opposed to like taking it consistently. Um, yeah. So, yeah. You also got to plan for that one, which is can be a bit uh, yeah. of a challenge sometimes, right? Yeah. Um, and just a couple of other non-hormonal methods, and these are more permanent methods. So this would be a vasectomy or a tubal ligation or a fimbrectomy is what we now call it. So those are kind of the more permanent. So the vasectomy is when, um, and your husband is well aware of this one, when they cut the vas deferens to stop the sperm from it being able to travel through. It's a very effective. There is a possibility of reversing it, but it's can be quite complicated to reverse. So it's one of those things that you know, got to be sure you're done having children. It is great because it's less risky than surgery for the women for tubal ligation or fimbrectomy. So it's uh, it's a it's a outpatient procedure. You know, you use an ice pack for a few days. It's relatively safe. There's not a lot of complications that happen for it. But a really important piece to note is you need to make sure that the man who has it does goes for his um, semen checks for a few times until it's all been cleared out because it can take a few months for the semen to get out. And every once in a while, both one side is cut twice as opposed to 
both sides being cut once. And so there's still a flow of semen. So we have had a few people come in post vasectomy pregnant because um, those semen checks weren't done. So just to be yeah. aware of that. And then the yeah. other for the... No, Sorry, I was going to say that has happened to my husband as well. And I remember him telling me some of those stories. He does a ton of vasectomies. And one thing to point out is you were saying that to have the vasectomy is fairly simple procedure. It's like just outpatient quick. Um, but then to get it reversed is more complicated, but it's also expensive in Canada. Um to have it reversed. It's not covered by OHIP, so you have to pay out of pocket for that. So Yeah, and in our in our community you need a plastic surgeon there and the urologist there. You need anesthetic. It's expensive. So that's one thing just making sure that you are done done having children before you before you make that choice. And then there's the female kind of not equivalent, but the female equivalent is that a tubal ligation. And tubal ligation is when they cut the fallopian tubes and tie them off. Um, or a fimbrectomy is when they take the ends of the like the whole tube off um, to prevent future pregnancies. The fembrectomy, the the benefit over that is we actually think most high-risk ovarian cancers start in the end of the fallopian tube. That's like these little fingers waving that catch the egg after it's been released from the uh, from the ovary. So the fembrectomy is taking off that piece. So it actually we think it decreases ovarian cancer rates. So there is no way of reversing the fimbrectomy, the taking off the entire tube. Again, you can reverse the tubal ligation, but it is complicated and not always successful. So those are the other two kind of non-hormonal permanent methods. And they're both very good as long as we do our sperm checks after the vasectomy. <laughs> yes, very important. Can I say um, that one more time? <laughs> <laughs> Get your sperm checked. Exactly. Um, so now hormonal birth control options uh, for like I myself, I remember I started the birth control pill at 16. I had like such painful periods that I would stay home from school like it was so bad. Um, so, yeah, I went on birth control at 16 and I was on the same birth control pill for like probably till my mid 20s. And had zero issues. But then, like you said, all of a sudden, I started spotting with that one. So then I had tried a few different ones. Um, but yeah, once I started the birth control pill, I had really light, like no pain periods, no ovulation pain. Um, so yeah, I always now after having Milo, I was breastfeeding initially and I went on the breastfeeding safe um I think it was the progesterone only yeah. uh pill but yeah I I took it for like a few weeks and I was just spotting nonstop and I hate spotting it drives me insane so I stopped taking it and then I just haven't gone back on any form of birth control since but I always wonder like should I go back on one so I'm curious to hear your explanation about the different birth controls and maybe just for my own personal <laughs> my own selfish reasons <laughs> what what someone in my situation what should they like what would be a good option so to answer your question do you want to get pregnant again because if the answer no. is yes you should not go on another birth control pill the answer is no which you just said you should do something right again it's it's all of that how good or bad would it be or devastating would it be if you were to get pregnant? And if it would be devastating and it's not your plan in life and you would consider not 
keeping the baby or whatever that is, or if it would really disrupt what your life plan is or cause you a lot of, you know, some women have horrible postpartum depression. And so if they have horrible postpartum depression and getting pregnant again, or horrible, like, like unsafe pregnancies with major complications and getting pregnant again would be really devastating for them. hundred percent. You need to do something really good for birth control. So mm. There's your answer. Um, so for hormonal methods, the most common one, and we've talked about it, is what we call the birth control pill. So there's kind of two different types. There's one with estrogen and progesterone, and then there's one with just progesterone. So most people are on that combined birth control, and I'm the same. I went on it when I was like 16. My mom found it in my in my um, room and was devastated. I didn't tell her about <laughs> it. Anyways. Alicia, what are you doing? Um, so there's the combined birth control pill and there's all kinds of different formulations. So that one is traditionally you take it for 21 days and you're off it for seven days and you get your period. Some of them are 21 days and or 24 days and four days. But really you can take those back to back and you do not need to get a period every month. Um, and so that's useful for people with heavy periods or who have a lot of kind of PMS symptoms or hormonally derived acne, those types of things. So the birth control pill can really help those out. Certainly, there's some people who shouldn't be on the estrogen and those sort of people who have had blood clots in the past. Um, people who are smokers and a little bit older really shouldn't because it increases your risk of blood clots. And then the increased risk isn't huge, but it's a pretty devastating outcome sometimes. And there's other options. So, so that's why we say that. The other group is sometimes people who have migraines with auras. So those sensations that come on before a migraine, we usually try to avoid the estrogen component. Again, it's a little bit of an increased risk of a blood clot. And uh, people who have, did I say breast cancer? There's a few, no. there's a few things. So certainly um, because the estrogen can, can proliferate the breast cancer more. So so there's a few things, reasons we wouldn't use the oral contraceptive pill or the combined birth control. And you can either take it in pill form or you, there's patches. So something called the Evra patch um, that you put on for a week and then you take off and replace it once a week. Um, or there's the vaginal ring. And those are all secreting those three different types, those two different types of um, hormones. And so those all have a failure rate of about 90 in 1,000 or 9 in 100. So about 9% of women using those for the first year will get pregnant on any of those. And that's just because we make mistakes and we forget to take our pill or we forget to change our patch or we have taken it off and we don't put it back on the next week or whatever it is. So, so those are the reasons that you have those failure rates. And then the other option for birth control for the hormones is the progesterone-only pill. Um, and then we can also do that as an injection or we can do that in combination with an IUD. So the progesterone only pill is still pretty effective, but you have to t you have to be even more precise about it. So there's a little bit of leeway with the combined birth control pill. If you miss a day, not a big deal. But the progesterone only one, you're actually supposed to take within a couple of hours on the on the same day. So you have to be really reliable for that or combining it with a different combination. Um, and that one, the side effects that women often um, have with the progesterone-only pill is exactly what you said, Renee. It's like spotting, but it's also those um, symptoms of early pregnancy. So bloating, some mood disruption, um, sometimes kind of hair growth. As you may or may not know, in pregnancy, our hair just continues to grow. It doesn't fall out as much just because of the nature of the hormones. And so that can be the same on the progesterone as well. Um, and those, and then breast tenderness and that irregular spotting or bleeding. So those are the most common side effects of the, just the progesterone only form of 
um, either the pill or the injectable. The Depo-Provera is the one that we can inject every 12 to 13 weeks. Um, it's like a shot in your arm, and then it's good for 12 to 13 weeks. It's really reliable if you get your shots regularly. But like I said earlier, you're stuck with that in you. So if you don't react well to that, it can be yeah. a long three months. Um, so often for those for people considering that, I'll suggest they take the progesterone-only pill first just to try it out and see how they do on the progesterone. And if it works right. well for them, great, then go for the shot. So. Yeah. So if with all these birth control pills that contain different levels of progesterone and estrogen, how like for me, if I was like, okay, I want to start taking uh, a combination birth control pill again, how like how does one decide what level you should take? And does spotting like is spotting representative like because whenever I spot taking a new pill, I think like, oh, the hormones aren't strong enough. Is that like, I don't know where I even came up with that. That's just what I decided in my head. But is that true? Like if I start spotting on one pill, does that mean I need to have stronger or like higher levels of hormones? It, I don't have my, so I have this fancy cheat sheet that has all the different side effects and what I need to do with the hormones to kind of change it. So I don't have that in front of me. Um, But spotting does not mean that it's not working for contraception. So spotting is just that the hormone levels aren't sustaining your uterine lining long enough. And so it's like continually sloughing off. So that's what kind of spotting means more so that it's not protecting you against pregnancy. So um, yet it can be very annoying. But any any transition, so anything that we start that's going to shift our hormones, I like to tell people to give it a good three months before they make any judgments on it. So oftentimes at that three-month mark, whatever side effects are still there are going to stay with you. But sometimes it's just letting your body adjust to the new levels. So you might have spotting for six weeks and then it goes away and it's totally fine, right? So, right? so giving it a little bit of time to let your body adjust to it because our body doesn't adjust that quickly to anything, right? You start a new diet, your bowels go crazy for a bit, right? So you got to give your body a little bit of time to adjust to the new combination of hormones that you're um, taking in. So, but certainly I usually, most providers have a couple of favorites that they start off with and then see how people do. They're usually kind of middle of the road in terms of hormones and then adjust as needed given women's symptoms if they're having symptoms after that three-month mark that they're not happy with, right? And some people, they don't care about spotting. If they're not getting a big period, they're fine with a little bit of spotting. But for some people, and I agree with you, it's super annoying. Oh, yeah. I don't want that. Um, so everybody's, but everybody's different. And that's the thing, like right, for what works for one person isn't going to work for another person for whatever reason. Um, but yeah, so, and then awesome. the last one we, we've kind of chatted about, but not really is the Mirena IUD. And so that's the most effective birth control we have out there. And that's just got that, it's just similar to a copper, but it's got a little bit of hormone in it and it causes really light periods or no periods. Um, for, and it's good for up to five years. So it's a really good one for people who aren't great at taking things and you can get fertile right away when you take it out, as opposed to like the Depot Provera, the progesterone injection, it can take six to 10 months to get your fertility back. So those are other things to keep in mind. Yeah. And what about the birth control pill? I guess it must, your fertility must go right back because you can miss one and get pregnant. Exactly. So it returns right away. Not in everybody, but generally speaking, it returns right away. There's no reason not to expect it to. And so one of my favorite things about taking the pill is that, like you said previously, you can skip, like almost skip your period if you just continuously take uh, the pill. 
Is that like, is that frowned upon or that's just. No. Why would you have a period if you don't need to? Oh, right. (laughs) Some people like it because it makes them feel comfortable. They're not pregnant. But the birth control pill was made by men. And so, you know, it's we used to be pregnant or breastfeeding all of our lives. And so we would rarely get periods, right? Mm -hmm. And so it's actually kind of more natural if you want to spin it in your head that way to just take the birth control pill back to back. Um, And then every once in a while, like you could take it back to back. So take it, just keep taking it and not do those weeks skipped. And then if you have day 78 or day 95, you have some spotting for a few days, you can stop it for a few days get a period and then restart it. Sometimes your uterus just needs to slough off the its inner coating, which is what your period is. Um, and so you can certainly do that easily. And that's totally safe to do and totally fine to do. Yeah. Nice. Oh my God. I'm making an appointment like as soon as we hang up. <laughs> there you go. That's the spirit. <laughs> yeah. Woohoo. Okay. Um, so to end, I thought if like, what are, do you know offhand? I don't think I asked you this previously, but what are some resources that you would recommend for either people that are wanting to get pregnant, pregnant women or moms? Like three, so, if you can think of like three resources, it could be like an Instagram account, a movie, a book, anything like that. Well, you can check out our Instagram account at, at she.found.motherhood. But my favorite resource around kind of um, contraception is a website called sexandyou.ca. And it's put out by the Society of Obstetricians and Gynecologists of Canada. And it has amazing information. So I would just say go there and you'll get everything you need in terms of decision making. And they've got all the different types of um, contraception there and discussions around it. So that's probably the easiest and the best one, sexandyou.ca. But also check us out at she.found.motherhood because we've got lots of videos and a couple podcasts and about kind of natural fertility and go into details or the fertility awareness podcast if you're trying to get pregnant. So yes, I'm going to put, so just so everyone knows, I'm going to put all your information and links to everything in the episode notes. But I thought, did you want to explain a little bit about your podcast and like what that's about? Yeah, so we have, as you said, we have an online platform called She Found Motherhood. Our website is actually shefoundhealth.ca, um, but we do YouTube videos. We do TikTok. That's where I found Renee. Um, <laughs> we do. We have a great Instagram account, and the, my partner um, Sarah, Dr. Sarah, she does most of that. So we've got great info there. We've started a podcast as well, She Found Motherhood podcast, um, and basically we're trying to support and give high quality evidence based information um, to people transitioning from pregnancy or starting to think about getting pregnancy all the way to kind of postpartum and newborn and parenthood. And we want to get it out there because there's a lot of misinformation out there. And it's, um, it's really hard for people to f- find reliable information. So that's why we kind of started that. And we also have um, online prenatal courses that you can do. And we have a newborn sleep kind of what to expect course as well. So that's all on our website if you're interested in checking that out. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for talking with me today. I am excited to put out this episode and I need to go call my doctor and start taking the birth control pill. (laughs) Awesome. Or put your husband in charge of your fertility. (laughs) My husband always says he's going to give himself a vasectomy. I'm like, yeah, okay. I'd like to see that. (laughs) When is the question? Awesome. It was great to talk to you, Renee. Thanks for having me. Thank you. 